You know, it's been a special uh, week for us as a family, a special day for us as uh, me as a daddy, um, talking about daddies. One of the things daddies love is birthdays, isn't it, when our kids have birthdays. It's been Simon's birthday this week. He turned three, uh, which seemed pretty amazing. Time flies, um, doesn't it? Um, one of the things we tend to do for birthdays is, with both of the boys, we let the boys choose their own present for, for each other, that they want to get each other. And um, so Evan chose his own present for, for Simon this year, which was great, and he decided he wanted to get him a Transformer. Now, some of you probably know what Transformers are, but I, I brought one along for, for those of you who don't. This is a, uh, a Transformer. This is Drift. Um, say hello, Drift. So um, Drift um, and, and the Transformers, they started off as uh, comic books and TV shows, but as with everything, um, you know, money-wise, they want to market it, make toys. Boys love them. So um, the toys came along soon after. And... Um, and the perfect thing for capturing boys' imaginations, because not only have you got a robot uh, which can talk and move around and shoot things and all the rest of it, but in, in the flash of a moment, you've got a racing car. And now suddenly you can go around racing along and, and play around with racetracks and things, or you've got an aeroplane or a tank or some other thing that you can turn it into. So it's brilliant for lads, keeps them entertained all day long. But Transformers are nothing new. Um, Anyone my kind of age uh, will know that they were around when we were lads too. And uh, they were one of those toys that every boy wanted, but they made a bit of a, a comeback in recent years. One of the things that's changed, though, anyone who's around, my, you never changed a Transformer that easy when we were lads, did you? Come on, guys. It was never as easy as that, was it? They, they've really simplified these things so that, uh, that youngsters can play with them. And, um, and now it's just one simple movement, flip the legs around, Gone from a car to a robot, just like that. Absolutely brilliant. And so anyone can do it. It's really, really easy. Even um, my little three-year-old um, plays with Evans all the time. This is one of Evans, not, not Simon's new one. So Evan wanted to get Simon a Transformer. We thought it was a great idea. Uh, had a little look in the shops. Um, none of them kind of grabbed his attention. So we ended up choosing one and ordering it online on the Internet. And it was a Transformer called Roadbuster. Here he is. This is Roadbuster. And uh, Simon's new Transformer. Pretty cool, isn't he? A um, bit bigger than, than Drift is here. Um, Big day arrived, came along to Simon's birthday, he turned three. I think he's hiding in the back there, he might be listening in. Simon, Simon, hiya, is this your transformer? Yeah? Okay, he was very excited when he opened this. Unwrapped it, saw the box there, transformer inside, wants to get it out, get it all out, all those kind of annoying tie wraps that you've got to do. Who introduced screws? Why do people put screws in toy packaging these days? Nightmare. So undo all of the screws, get the toy out. Really excited. First thing that both the boys want to know is, how do we change it into a truck? Okay. So we set two. We think, well, just going to grab the legs, do a quick flip, nice and simple. They're all easy these days. Have a go at it. I spent the next five or ten minutes there moving every single piece, trying to get it together, and I could not work it out at all. Moved every single piece, and no matter what I did, it just seemed impossible to click them into place and turn this guy into the truck that he was meant to be. So eventually, us blokes don't like this, but we admitted, admitted defeat, and I picked up the instructions. <laughs> So picked up the instructions, and what did I discover? It's no longer one simple little move, but we're on a 24-stage process uh, of all these different intricate things that we've got to do in exactly the right order in order to get him from a robot to a car and back again. Even with the instructions, it wasn't easy. And um, it might have said on the box that, you know, this is for five plus or whatever it was, but I think it might be better saying 30 plus as a, as a better kind of guideline. Thankfully, with the instructions, I managed to, to get him changed and, and make a bit of progress. The pieces clicked into place, and he became this, a, a really cool little army truck. It's pretty good, isn't it? 
It's great. And I have to say that it's one of the most satisfying feelings to think that I'd overcome and achieve the transformation of a toy designed for a five-year-old. It was a great moment. You know, I wonder if any of you, though, have been through similar kind of experiences. You know, maybe trying to put a toy together for a child, maybe building flat pack furniture. How many people have had one of those frustrating experiences with flat pack furniture where you're confident, you're set to with it, you're putting all the bits together, you screwed the bits together, then you get three quarters of the way there and you realize that for this drawer to fit, it had to go in at the beginning. And so you've got to take it all apart again and you've got to start from scratch with the instructions. Or maybe you've been, uh, been trying to work out how to use an electronic device or you've been cooking a meal and it's, it's all gone wrong. Or one of a hundred different things that you've, you've tried to do and you've grown increasingly frustrated as you just can't seem to manage it. And you look back and think, what a waste of time. If I have not achieved anything, I've had to go right back to the beginning again. If only I'd looked at the instructions in the first place and I knew where I would have gone wrong. The right instructions suddenly make everything click into place and we can start to make some progress that can go now now please Andrew thank you you know it might be as well that you've been through some periods in life which have felt a little bit like that maybe you've been feeling frustrated in life even right now and you just wish life was as simple as putting together some flat pack furniture or transforming a, a transformer and that there was this instruction guide that you could pick up that would tell you the next steps that you needed to take and how it was that you needed to fix things and what it was that you needed to do so that you weren't so clueless as to what the way forwards might be Well, if you've ever felt like that, or if you're feeling like that right now, I want to encourage you that you're not alone, that we all end up in those places sometimes where we're frustrated and we bang our heads against the wall and we wonder how on earth we can move things forwards. In fact, I want us to look at what it is that we can learn together personally and what it is that we can learn together for us together as, as a church from a few guys in the Bible who are feeling frustrated and clueless about the way forwards in life. And the people that I've got in mind are um, Peter, James, and John. And these are three people who lived alongside Jesus. They followed Jesus, and they sat at his feet and learned from him for three years. Uh, Jesus called them away from a, a life as professional fishermen, and, um, and he, he had told them that he had a different future for them, a bigger plan for them. And, and these three followers of Jesus, they had incredible hopes in what it is that, that Jesus was going to do, the difference that he was going to make, how he was going to turn the world upside down and change everything. And then the unthinkable happens. Jesus is killed. In fact, he's not just killed, he's brutally tortured and he's put to death in the most shameful and disgraceful way possible in that time when he's crucified on the cross. At this point... The whole world implodes. Everything that they've put their hope in has just been stripped away from them. They're left broken and directionless. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there, does it? Jesus then appears to them out of nowhere. He appears to Peter and to James and to John and some of the others and, who followed him and, and they're blown away. But Thomas isn't there and he doesn't believe it's happened. And so a, a little while later he appears again and Thomas is there and he proves to them that he's still alive. But after both of these disappearances, he's suddenly gone again. He disappears. He's just telling them to wait. Can you imagine how the followers of Jesus must have felt right now? They must have been, felt like they were on an emotional tsunami. 
You know, all these hopes, dreams, expectations, everything's fantastic. And then Jesus is suddenly killed and taken away from them. And then he's back again. But then he's gone and then he's back and then he's gone. And he's just telling them to wait around. What's going to happen? What does the future hold? What are the next steps that we're to take? Nothing was as it seemed. Where does it leave them now? How do they move forwards? In the midst of that confusion, they've simply been asked to wait. How many of you know that waiting can be one of the hardest things in the world? Especially when you're confused and you have no idea what you're waiting for and what it is that's coming next. Everything within you, don't you feel it rise up, that reaction, that within you, that you just want to try and take control? You just want to say, well, what can I do to fix things instead of waiting around and to, to begin to put things in place and to make, take those steps for the future so I know what, what's going on? And you know, that's exactly what Peter tried to do. He had no idea how long he would have to wait. He had no idea what the future held with Jesus. Nothing was the way that they were expecting it to be. So in the midst of all of the frustration and the confusion, Peter turns back to the one thing that he knows how to do. He turns back to the one thing which is kind of his security, his stability, where he knows he's safe and he can, he can just kind of get stuck in and get on with it. He knows he can make a living and he goes back to fishing. And some of Jesus' followers decide that they're going to, it sounds like a good idea, and they'll tag along with him too. Why don't we read about it? It's in John 21. This is what uh, John writes. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Not a good start to things, is it? These are professional fishermen, and they're already feeling frustrated and lost, and they turn back to the one thing that they think they've got control over, the one thing that they think they can do, the one thing that they think is safe and secure, and all it leads to is another night of more frustration. A night with no sleep, working hard, throwing nets out, pulling nets up, and what do they have to show for it? Nothing. You can imagine by the morning they felt tired, frustrated, and all they would want was to go home and collapse. Now, when you've had a hard day at work, all you want is to go home and flop, isn't it? In your safe place, wherever that might be, and feel sorry for yourself. Imagine that's how they felt this morning. We've all been there at some point, haven't we? One of those nightmare days when the children have been playing up all day or just feels like a wasted day, feels like it's pointless. And, um, you know, when we're in those places and we're feeling that place and, and we've kind of gone to our safe place and collapsed, it's probably the last place where we expect Jesus to show up and start speaking to us, isn't it? When we're in that frame of mind, the last thing on our minds is that we, we think Jesus is suddenly going to show up and we've got our eyes open, ready for him. And I imagine it's the last thing the disciples expected as well. But this is what we go on to read in the next verses, in verses 4 to 14. It's early in the morning. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him for he'd taken it off. He jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. 
Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. And even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Who'd like a cut breakfast when you're feeling like that? That sounds great. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You can imagine, can't you, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, tired, frustrated, at the end of a long night, when some guy on the shore, they have no idea who he is, suddenly shouts out to them, You're right, lads, you got any fish? And you you can imagine them, can't you, after a night of frustration, that's probably the last thing you want to be asked, isn't it? To to, to turn around and say to him with a big sigh, no, all right, we've not got anything. And then he's got the cheek to try and tell them that if they want to find some fish, they've just got to throw the net on the other side of the boat. And you've got to remember, these aren't guys who are out on a a kind of a jolly fishing trip with no idea what they're doing on a lad's night out. You know, these are professional fishermen. And this guy on the shore, who they've no idea who it is, is telling them how to do their job. How would you feel if I came to your place of work and I told you how to do your job? What would be the reaction inside of you? If I started to tell Dan how to hang a door, or if I started to tell Kieran how to build a wall in the garden, or if I started to tell um, I don't know, Ali how to raise her children, um, you know, or one of the teachers how to, how to teach your kids... You know, something, when someone who has no right and no experience in the job that you do comes along and starts telling you how to do it, something inside reacts to that, doesn't it? You don't like it very much. You want to prove that you know what you're doing. That you're the expert. And so you might go along with the suggestion. But I would imagine your motivation and what's behind you going along with the suggestion, you might do it in a nice way to humor them, or you might do it in a, in a rather cross way. But either way, you go along with the suggestion largely for one reason. To prove them wrong. To prove that actually you're the expert, you know what you're doing in the job, and you want to show them that. Now, I might be wrong, but after a night at work, when you've got nothing out of it, and you're feeling tired and frustrated, and you just want to go home, I can't see many other reasons as to why Peter and John and James and the others bother listening to this guy on the shore. Other than to say, well, it's easier sometimes just to go along with it, prove him wrong, than to end up in an argument. So they throw the nets on the other side of the boat. I don't think they expect anything to happen. Nothing at all. I imagine then they were a bit surprised when instead of pulling in this empty net and turning to the guy saying, told you so, they go to pull the nets up and it's so hard for them they can't even get it into the boat because it's so full of fish. I think this was the light bulb moment for the guys on the boat. This was the the moment um, which triggers something in John's memory as he tells this story. And he remembers back to the last time that something similar had happened. It was three years ago. They'd been out fishing all night and they'd caught nothing. And then this Jesus came along and he, he, he asked to borrow the boat, did some teaching, and then told them to take the boat into deeper water and to put their nets out. And just like today, they caught the biggest load of fish that they'd ever had. And it hits him. That's not just some stranger on the shore, it's Jesus. And so Peter's so blown away that in this moment of weakness, in this moment of frustration, when he's feeling alone, in this moment where he's feeling hopeless, Jesus has shown up that he jumps out of the boat and he beats the boat back to the shore because he wants to be with him. It's a great image, isn't it? Now, this is a massively significant time for Peter and James and John. This is a time when they are frustrated and worried about the future when nothing seems to be going to plan. 
And they're asking themselves questions like, what's the point? What have, we, what have we achieved? What have we spent the last three years doing? What is it that comes next? And in the midst of this time of confusion, Jesus comes along and he reminds them of two things. He reminds them that while they might think they're good at fishing, while they might think that they can put a plan together and take control of things and take care of things on their own, that actually without him they can't do anything. That actually what's really pointless is trying to make our own way in life without Jesus. That what's really pointless is trying to do things on our own and trusting in our own ability. You know, and if you've been in a place where you've been feeling frustrated recently, and you've been questioning things and wondering why you bother, then Jesus is wanting to remind you today that you can trust in him. As we've already heard that he is your good daddy who loves you, and you can trust in him. Don't be like Peter and get fed up of waiting around where Jesus has told you to be and think, well, I'm just going to take things into my own hand and try and fix it myself. Trust Jesus. Ask Jesus to give you a prompt today as to what the next step is. And it might be, like he told them, simply wait. Continue with what you're doing and wait, and I'm going to show up. Or it might be to make this huge, big change in your life that changes everything. Or it might be a tiny thing that you dismiss, like just throwing your net on the other side of a boat. But out of that simple act of obedience, it could transform everything. You know, I want to encourage you that whatever it is that God is is prompting you in, just to trust him. To trust that he knows best and to trust that as you step out in obedience to him, however small or big it might be, that you will then see him at work in your life in an amazing way, more than you could ever have imagined. So the first thing that Jesus reminds them is that life without him really is what is pointless. And that without him, they can achieve nothing. But with him, they can achieve more than they could ever have hoped for. The second thing that Jesus reminds them is that despite their feelings of frustration and their uncertainty over the future, that actually his plan and his purpose for them has never changed. It's exactly the same as it was three years ago. Just as bringing in the big catch of fish, I think, probably made John remember who it was and realize that it was Jesus. I think it probably also made him remember the last time that this happened and what it is that Jesus said to them. You know, the the first time that this happened, when they got to the shore with this huge, big catch of fish, Jesus turned around to them and and he said to them, you might think it's great to have your nets full of fish. And that's what you're living for. But you know what? I've got a better purpose for you. Now I want to make you not people who just go out catching fish. I want to make you people who catch people to be fishers of men. Become people who cast not a, a physical net into water, but cast a net of my good news out into the sea of people who don't yet know me so that they can be, be caught by the truth of who I am, so that you can catch their attention and draw them to me with the truth of who I am. Your purpose is not to have a net bursting to the seams with fish, but to have a net of the good news bursting to the seams with people who have come to know me. You're going to become fishers of men. And you know, when we read on in the lives of Peter and John and James and the other guys, you know, that's exactly what we see, isn't it? When we, we read on into the book of Acts and things, we, we see them at those times where they stand up and they share the good news about who Jesus is and thousands come and give their lives to Jesus in that one moment. I imagine that blew their minds just as much as this big net of fish and reminded them of what it is that Jesus has has said to them. You know, and just as Jesus had a clear purpose for Peter and John and for the other guys, so he's got a clear purpose for you and for me. And on the surface, our purposes might look very different. 
You know, we will have all sorts of different jobs. Some of us will be full-time parents. Some of us will be, you know, builders. Some of us electricians, accountants, teachers, whatever it is, all sorts of different jobs. But while our jobs might all be very different, above and beyond all that, Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear that every single one of us has just one purpose, and it's the same. Every single one of us is called to be fishers of men. Now, I don't know what naturally comes to your mind when you think about what my purpose is in life. Why am I here? What's it all about? You might not feel like you've got much purpose at all. But I want to encourage you that God has a big purpose for you. God has a big purpose for every single person here in this room today. And his big purpose is that you would be a fisher of men. His purpose for you is that through taking small steps of obedience, which might seem like nothing to you, through sharing the good news about him with the people in your life and around you, that you would see many people come to know him and give their lives to him for the first time. You know, it's God's purpose for us, each and every one of us as individuals. But, uh, you know, this year has been a significant year, I think, for us as a church, this re-reminding ourselves and refocusing ourselves on what Jesus' purpose is for us together as well, hasn't it? It's been a time where, like Peter and John, we've been reminded about our, our purpose and what it is, and we've been trying to bring it into greater focus and to, and to shape everything that we do by the purpose that it is that we believe God has given to us. And I know we, we've not talked about it much over the last few months, and um, so I, we're going to test memories and see how, how well things have stuck. But I thought it'd be good just to, to try and remind ourselves and to say again together why it is that we exist as a church, what our purpose is together. So um, let's see how we get on, and we'll try and say it together. So we exist to see God's love transform lives as we follow him. Let's say it again. Our purpose is to see God's love transform lives as we follow him. Fantastic. In other words, we're to be fishers of men. Just another way of saying it. To see people come to know God and his love for them in such a way that they are impacted and their lives are transformed and they give their lives to Jesus. To see those who already know Jesus be impacted by God's love for them in an ongoing, continuous way so their lives continue to be transformed and they continue to live and follow Jesus. It's a great purpose, isn't it? It's a purpose that God has for every single one of us here. Now, at the same time as God was refocusing us on our purpose, he also gave us a promise. And the promise that he gave us came through, um, through a picture, first of all, that, that Lorna had of the roof opening up. And as the roof was opened up, this great big net bursting to the seams with fish was lowered down through the roof into the building. And then at the, on the same day, that picture was confirmed by Don Double, who was visiting with us uh, that week. And he went on to say that he believed that God was saying that this first wave of this multitude would be 153 big fish. 153 lives transformed to be genuine, committed followers of Jesus. And that's God's promise for us. That's exciting too, isn't it? Something we can get excited about. So his promise is that as we step out in obedience to Jesus, as we give ourselves to the purpose that he has for us, to see God's love transform lives as we follow him, that we will see more people come to know Jesus than we can even imagine. I don't think it's a coincidence that the picture was of this big um, net bursting with fish, and that's exactly the same way that Jesus communicated his promise to the disciples about his future for them. You know, but just as with Peter and John, it won't simply happen through our own sheer hard work and effort. It won't simply happen through good ideas and, and programs and us being busy and tiring ourselves out trying to do things. 
All that happens then is a night like they had where we end up in the morning frustrated with empty nets. Now, if we try and go out fishing and we do it on our own, it's never going to work. The fulfillment of the promise doesn't come through hard work alone. We do need to give ourselves, give energy and time and resources and everything else to it. The disciples did have to pick up the net and throw it. They didn't just leave it all to Jesus. But not their skill, nor their hard work made the fish get into the net, did they? They've been trying that all night. The only thing that made the fish get into the net was the fact that they obeyed Jesus. We need to make sure that we're depending on Jesus and obedience to his instructions. We're throwing the net into the right place. No matter how good a program we put on this autumn, our nets won't be full unless our nets are in the right place, unless we're obedient to what it is that Jesus is telling us to do. Thankfully, as well as a purpose and a promise, I believe God has also given us a plan, which is fantastic, isn't it? You know, when, when Don had the picture of 153 big fish, he also shared that God had brought to mind Jonathan Conrath, who John mentioned earlier on in the notices, and that he was someone that he felt we should be working with. And so we've been talking with Jonathan over, you know, months now, and, and both Jonathan and ourselves have felt like God is in this. And this is, you know, Jesus' word to us about how we're to throw our nets and where we're to throw our nets. And so this has been the starting point of our autumn fishing season, um, as that we believe that God has, has spoken. That's the whole reason that we're doing it. And with the summer coming to a close, sorry guys, you're going back to school already or tomorrow from what I've heard. So uh, schools are are back. We're heading into the autumn. So I wanted to remind us and to refocus us on what it is that this season is about. It's a season to be excited. It's a season to be full of faith. It's a season to where we want to be, have our eyes open to see where Jesus is and what it is that he's calling us to do. Knowing that as we step out in obedience to him, we will see a great number of people give their lives to Jesus for the first time. So as we head into the autumn, I want to encourage you that Jesus has a purpose for you in this season. That you have a role to play. Every single person here. That you have a role to play in making sure that our net as a church is in the right place. You know, part of that role is to keep praying for the people on your bookmarks. Uh, if, you've got, if you don't know what the bookmarks are, then there's a bunch on the table at the back and come and chat to me. I'd love to, to share with you. But keep praying for the people on your bookmarks. Keep prioritizing and looking for opportunities to spend time with them, thinking about what it is that you can invite them to and how it is that you can share with them. You know, and, uh, you know, just, I want to encourage you with that because that is part of, of God's plan and purpose, part of the way in which he's, we believe that he has spoken to us about making sure our nets are in the right place and that we're not missing opportunities. You know, it might seem like there's little things. Sometimes I know it can be scary, can't it, sometimes wanting, thinking to invite somebody along to something and wondering how it is they're going to react. But, you know, I have never known anybody be offended by an invitation. I don't know if you have, but I've never known anybody be offended by an invitation. Sometimes people have said no, but they've always appreciated being asked. And, uh, you know, I want to encourage you, nobody's offended by an invitation. There's nothing scary about it. To step out and be bold and to make the most of the opportunities and invite people along to things. To trust God that as you step out in those small steps of obedience, you're putting your net in the right place. And we will see the fish coming in. So, you've not only got a role, though, with, uh, with the bookmarks. You've also got a role to play as we start to prepare ourselves for what God has for us through the evangelism training that's starting on Wednesday night. 
You know, this is part of the strategy that we feel God has spoken to us about to ensure that we're fishing in the right places. So I want to encourage you to to prioritize it and to trust God. Even if you think, well, I've done evangelism training before. What's, you know, what new thing is it going to bring to me? To trust God that actually this small thing is part of you just making that small change in your life so that your net goes in the right place. So that we're all prepared, that we're together, that we're in this, that we're trusting God, that we're saying we're full of faith and we're giving ourselves to this to see the, the people coming in. So I want to encourage you, it'd be great to see every single one of you there. But it doesn't stop there, does it? You know, we've got roles to play in welcoming people on a Sunday morning. We've got roles to play in welcoming people along to all the different events that we, that we do and that we've got planned. We've got roles to play in making those events possible by serving and planning and doing the different stuff which is going to be happening. We've got roles to play in stepping out in boldness and sharing with people and, and sharing with them the difference that Jesus has made within your own life so with people on your streets and your families, your friends, whoever it is that you work alongside who don't yet know him. You've got roles to play in so many different ways in order to make sure our net is in the right place that we would see the 153 big fish come in. So I want to encourage you this morning. God has a big purpose for you. God has a big plan for you, and it's something to be excited about. Something that I want you to keep at the forefront of your mind. You know, you might think, well, who am I that that God would want to work through me? Or you might think, well, I've missed opportunities in the past, so you you kind of feel disqualified. But, you know, think about Peter and James and John and where they were at at this time. Jesus didn't show up in a moment of great strength and victory, did he? He showed up to them when they were feeling lost and confused and questioning things. He showed up to them at a point where they probably felt like they'd let Jesus down. And he showed up to them and he said, I've still got this plan and this purpose for you. I still love you and I still want to work through you. So I want to encourage you to get involved. In whatever way it might be, get involved. Don't disqualify yourself based on your ability because it's not about us, it's about him. You know, on a personal level, it might be that this morning you relate to Peter and John's feelings of frustration in your own life. And you feel like life is a struggle and you don't know how you can change it. You feel like you just wish there was an instruction guide like I found for the Transformer that would just make it all make sense and you could just make this change, do this, do this, and that will solve everything. Wouldn't that be nice and easy? And if that's the case this morning, I want to encourage you, don't get frustrated and worn down trying to do it alone. You know, if I'd sat there with that transformer, it wouldn't matter how long I tried, I'd never have got anywhere. Don't try and do it on your own and fix things on your own, but I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. And and I'm going to pray for you in a moment that you will know Jesus speaking to you and that you would know what it is that he's he's telling you in order to make those right steps, to put yourself in the right place as the way forwards. Whether it be simply waiting and trusting that actually you are in the right place And it's just about trusting him in the midst of where you are. But whether it's about making big changes in your life or tiny changes that seem insignificant, but he will transform everything through them. You know, whatever it is that you would know Jesus speaking to you, and that because of that, it would just give you a confidence and a trust that would enable a peace within your heart that you've not known for a long time. Now, for some of you, it might be that this morning... The kind of questions going through your mind are the kind of things that Peter and John were thinking that night. Where is Jesus? What's going on? Am I better off just sticking with my own life as I know it? It's safe. I know where I stand. I know what's going on. Like fishing was for Peter and John. And if that's the case, then I want to encourage you to open your eyes and to see what Peter and John did that day. To realize and to see that life without Jesus can never compare to life 
with him. That life without Jesus might like, seem like a safe option because you're in control and it's in your hands. But the reality is that when you reach the end of your life, you'll realize like they did in the morning that all that work has been for nothing. That it's been pointless. You'll look back and realize that it counted for nothing. Now, if you don't know Jesus today, then I want to ask, encourage you to ask yourself honestly, when you think about your life, what's the point? Why are you here? What does your life matter? Because the lesson Peter and John learned and the lesson that I've learned in my time as well is that on my own, I can't achieve anything. Nothing at all. On my own, my life counts for nothing. But with Jesus, the way in which I spend my life can count for all eternity. I'm going to finish, but if you're aware that you've been going through life on your own without Jesus... Or maybe you know Jesus, but you realize that actually you've been trying to deal with specific situations or circumstances on your own without him, in your own strength, trusting in your own ability, and you're feeling worn down and drained and frustrated because it just doesn't work. Or maybe you're in a place where you're confused and you're uncertain about the future and what the next steps are, and you're in need of a word from Jesus to show you the steps to take. Now, if any of those kind of things describe you, then I'm just going to, I'd love to pray for you this morning and just to pray that you would have an encounter with Jesus in the way that we've read about the disciples having an encounter with Jesus today.